Thank you, Miss Betsy. That was a beautiful song and another one of the classics, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Well, I hope you've had a good day, and I'm glad that you're here tonight. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, if you would, please. Deuteronomy in chapter number 4. Uh, we'll read a portion of Scripture from chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, and then I'm going to uh, flip back a page and read from Deuteronomy chapter number 3, just to give us a little of the background of it all. And I want to preach tonight on the subject of the reality of backsliding. Deuteronomy chapter number 4 and verse number 25. If you found your place, say amen. Deuteronomy chapter number 4 and verse number 25. Now you see why I never announced what I'm going to be preaching the next night. Because if they knew we'd be preaching on backsliding, we could cut this crowd in half. Amen. <laughs> you don't want to give anybody fair warning. Deuteronomy chapter number 4 and verse number 25 and following. The Word of God says... When thou uh, shalt uh, beget children and children's children and shall remain long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a carbon or a grave image or the likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off of the land until you shall go over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it. You shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the Gentiles or among the heathen, where the Lord shall lead you. And there you shall serve gods and work, and the, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from there thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. When thou art in tribulation, all these things will come upon thee, even in the latter days. If thou turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swore unto them. And may God add his blessing to the reading of the word of God and our understanding of it tonight, the preaching of the word of God, and the application as we hear the message that the Lord would speak to us. Revival is a season for the people of God. It's not a time for a, a people to be saved necessarily. We're never against people coming to the Lord and being saved. A lot of times that's the natural uh, fruit and uh, outcrop of a revival. But revival is for God's people. In Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14, the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If we're not clear enough that the Lord would say it one time in that passage of Scripture, really, he says it twice in that one verse, in verse number 14, that revival is for God's people. If my people, that's you and me, which are called by my name, and you know they were called Christians first at Antioch, and we've carried on that tradition now for almost 2,000 years. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and Turn from their wicked ways, and that's the one that we really don't like. He said, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Revival is for God's people. 
Uh, and we stand in need of revival all the time. Uh, I tell people most places that I go, I've never been to a church that did not need revival. I preached in all kinds of churches, small churches, larger churches, medium-sized churches, churches in the east, churches in the west, churches overseas. I've never been to a church yet that did not need at least some measure of revival because tonight, if you're not as close to Jesus right now as you've ever been, if you're not serving him as faithfully right now as you've ever served him, then that means that you have slid back from a position that you once were in. If from thence, he said, uh, you will return. And that's what he's talking to you and to me about tonight. If from thence, from that place of, uh, of, uh, of backslidden condition, sometimes even a perpetual backslidden condition, he said, even in that condition, if you'll come back to me, if you'll seek me, he said, I will let you find me. I like the way that uh, particular commentator uh, interpreted those verses of Scripture in that particular phrase. If you seek me with all of your heart, he said, I will let you find me. And uh, what a gracious God we have that will receive us out of the depths of our sin, that will receive us even as children of God, out of our disobedience, out of our rebellion, out of our brokenness, out of our broken relationships. If from that place, he said, you will come back to me, if you'll seek my face, he said, I will let you find me. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege of being saved, for knowing you as our personal Lord and Savior. Lord, we know that we're not all that we should be. We know that uh, even though we name the name of Christ, we don't always live like a child of God. And even on our best days, you say that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight we, we would realize the privilege it is that ours to uh, be able to come back to you, to draw near uh, unto you, and that you are willing to receive us. You will let us find you. And so, Lord, in this particular situation where uh, the mantle of leadership is being passed there from Moses to Joshua and those words of instruction that you uh, gave to Moses to give to Joshua, and I pray, Lord, that uh, we will take those words to heart tonight and to realize that in our brokenness and in our uh, inefficiency in all that we are tonight, Lord, if we would just seek you, Lord, you will forgive anything that we've said, anything that we've done, any disposition that we have, any attitude that uh, we have. If we would just be willing to turn from our sin and to turn toward you, you would fill us with love and peace and forgiveness if we would just simply repent of our wickedness. So, Lord, I pray tonight you would help us to realize that as the people of God, we stand in need of a fresh moving of your Holy Spirit in our midst. And Lord, we pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would uh, would reclaim someone who is straying. That your Holy Spirit tonight would bring conviction uh, where conviction is needed. And uh, that the relationships that are broken would be bound up. I, I pray, Lord, that tonight you would help us to uh, love one another and to forgive one another, even as the Word of God has commanded us to do. And even as the world looked upon us, we know what you have said, that by this shall all the world may know that we are disciples, if we have love one for another. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight we would not be a hindrance to revival, that we would be willing to, to uh, go to someone and find forgiveness or extend forgiveness towards someone. 
And, uh, and I pray that tonight, if there's some other thing that uh, is going on in our lives, maybe something that's uh, not uh, pleasing in your sight, some practice, some habit, some vice that we have, I pray that tonight, Lord, you would bring a deep conviction and that tonight uh, we would be willing to turn from our self-centeredness, our pride, our sinful behavior, and that we would seek you with all of our heart. And you promise that you'll let us find you and you'll fill us with love and forgiveness. And, and God, uh, that's what we need tonight. And so I pray that you would help us to desire revival from the depths of our being tonight. Uh, not just for the church's sake, but for the glory of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gave it all on the cross. So help us to be all that we can be for the cause of Christ. We pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses is with the children of Israel in the wilderness, of course, and it had taken the Lord only a matter of days to get uh, the the people of God out of Egyptian bondage to bring them across the Red Sea, which became a dry ground for them to walk across. I know you may not believe that tonight, but I believe when they came across the Red Sea, they were kicking up dust. Amen. The Bible says they came across on dry ground. And you know that Pharaoh's army was drowned in the midst of that same sea. Back when I was in college, I had a liberal professor, uh, Old Testament professor, and he was trying to convince us that it was not the Red Sea, but it was the Reed Sea. And he had a lot of different explanations, you know, for the miracles of the Bible. But I'm just telling you, the Bible says what it means and means what it says. Amen. And there they were, and they came across on dry ground. They'd been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, and now it's taken about 40 years for the Lord to get Egypt out of uh, Israel. didn't take him long to get them out of Egypt, but to get the Egypt out of Israel, the idolatry that was there, it uh, they, they had a hard time with it still, even after he had almost purged them completely of it. And God now has just told Moses that he's not going to enter into the land of promise. Uh, tonight, something that you and I would consider to be just a simple matter of disobedience, nothing really harmful about it. You know, he's supposed to speak to the rock and he struck the rock. And God said, because of that, you're not going to enter into the promised land. You'll, you'll see it, but you will not enter into it. That uh, those, those words are recorded in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, if you want to turn there for just a moment. In chapter 3, in verse uh, 23 through 29, the end of that chapter, the Bible says in Deuteronomy three twenty-three, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, Thou hast begun to show Thy servant Thy greatness and Thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth who can do according to Thy works and according to Thy might? I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond the Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee, speak no more uh, to me of this matter. In other words, I've heard enough, Moses, don't talk to, the, talk to me about this anymore. Verse 27, get thee up into the top of Pisgah and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with your eyes, for thou shalt not go over this Jordan, but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So we abode in the valley over by Beth Peor. Well, that must have been some disappointing news to uh, Moses when he found out that he would not uh, be allowed to enter into the, the promised land, the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. 
I've heard uh, preachers talk about, you know, that that uh, Canaan land represents heaven. Well, if you believe that, then that means that uh, Moses didn't make it to heaven. And I don't believe that tonight, do you? I mean, it does not represent heaven at all. Canaan land actually represents the best that you could possibly experience down here on earth in your relationship to the Lord. It has nothing to do with uh, heaven at all. And yet we have a lot of songs that are written comparing uh, heaven to Canaan land. But uh, Moses has been instructed now that he's not going to be allowed to go into the land because of what you and I would consider to be a minor disobedience. But you remember that they wandered in the wilderness and they suffered great loss of life simply because they had murmured at one time. Boy, if God operated like that today, I'm telling you, most of the church would just be stricken dead almost immediately. Uh, you know... I know you don't, you don't have to look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, but most most church members have a little something to murmur about just about all the time. Well, not all of them, about 99 and 44, 100% of them, uh, you know, have something to murmur about and complain about. If, uh, if God was to strike thousands of people dead like he did in the Old Testament, there hardly wouldn't be any church left today to do the Lord's work. And see, he says, charge Joshua. Uh, charge him, encourage him, strengthen him, for he's the one who's going to lead uh, the people of Israel into the land of promise. He'll cause them to inherit the land. And you know the rest of the story. Of course, uh, Joshua becomes a great leader of victory uh, among God's people as he brings them into the land. And though they were not completely obedient, they did come into the land under his leadership and they possessed uh, the land even though they allowed uh, some of the uh, foreigners to stay in the land, which was against God's instructions. And they always paid for their sin, just like you and I pay for our sin and our disobedience to the Lord as, as well. But Joshua, for the most part, the whole book of Joshua was a book of victory, victory after victory after victory. And then God gives the instructions for this new generation which was entering into the promised land. He says, teach the law to your children, keep the statutes of the Lord and obey the ordinances of the Lord. You tell Joshua that they are to tell the story of God's deliverance out of the Egyptian bondage and just tell it over and over and over again. In your homes, in the mornings, tell them the story of God's good deliverance. In the evening, tell them again. Repeat those stories over and over and over again. I know that people sometimes get weary of coming to church and sometimes hearing the same things that they've heard all their life. Do you know the reason that God wants us to come and keep right on hearing these same things over and over and be filled up with the fruit of God's Word? It's because we leak. That's why. We, we hear these things and we say, I'm going to put that into practice. And then, you know, we do pretty good for a little while. Then all of a sudden, you know, we leak down again. We backslide again and we're not in good fellowship with the Lord. So teach the law to your children. Keep the statutes of the Lord and obey the ordinances of the Lord. To grow old in the land, as he spoke of in chapter number 4, to grow old in the land is to forget the favor of God and the former graces of God. And he said, I don't want my people to forget the favor of God and the graces of God. Because I'm telling you, past grace is the promise of future grace. Amen. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the grace of God. And of His fullness have all we received. And grace upon grace upon grace. Because we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And so they are warned in our text that we have before us this evening about the hindrance of backsliding. The reality of backsliding. 
He didn't say uh, when you come into the land, if you grow old in the land, if you begin to backslide, if you begin to stray. For, he said when. And that's the way it is in the church today. So first of all, there are the, the, the characteristics of backsliding that we see here in the text before us. So look at verse number 29. It says, if from thence, if, if from this place thou shalt seek the Lord. Now what place is he talking about? From that place of backsliding, from that place of disobedience. He said, but if from thence shalt thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. One of the characteristics of backsliding is it's bound to happen sooner or later. About the only one, only way someone who is saved can keep from backsliding is for the Lord to save them immediately. Uh, and then right after that, he calls them up to heaven. I believe if we live as long as five minutes, you know, we're going to backslide at least a, a little bit. And once you've been saved five years or 15 years or 25 years or 35 years, I'm telling you, it gets easier and easier to backslide on the Lord if you're not very careful. We forget, as one old preacher said, we forget the pit from which we've been digged. We were pretty low. We were drowning in our sin. We were dead in trespasses and sin. And sometime when you've been saved for decades, we, we forget just how terrible life was in those days and how far we were from God in those days and how miserable we became whenever we were under conviction of sin and had not yet surrendered our life to the Lord. Now I'll tell you tonight, the most miserable person in the world is not the person who is lost. The most miserable person in the world tonight is the person who is saved, who is living like somebody who is lost. And let me tell you what, that's a miserable somebody right there. You, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. Every true believer has the Spirit of God living within them. Paul says that in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. He said, he who has not the Spirit of God is none of his. And so you have the Spirit of God living within us. And let me tell you, uh, whenever we disobey the Lord, I don't know about you, but I can't hardly get away with anything uh, before the Lord just starts bringing conviction in my heart, in my life. And I'm hoping that at least in your in your mind and in your heart you're doing like this, even though you're not doing that with your head. I can't do anything as a child of God and get away with it. As a matter of fact, I told somebody one time that uh, I don't know who's the fastest that reminded me of what I've just done wrong, the Holy Spirit of my wife. She's pretty quick at it too, you know. I had this habit of going home from revival meetings, and when I go home from revival meeting on the last night, I normally stop at the first convenience store I have, and if they've got a diet sun drop, that's what I buy. And they used to have uh, these uh, good, uh, called a Mars bar. And they, you remember, they don't make them anymore, so I have to settle for a Snickers bar now. But I'll, I'll get that candy bar, and I'll get that drink, and I'll start on my way home. Wanda was with me, and uh, on that last night of revival, and we were riding down the road, and I stopped and got my Diet Sun Drop and my Mars bar. And, and uh, I don't normally do this, but I did it this time. And I just kind of flipped the corner off of that thing. How you do, you know, if you're going to open the candy bar, like that, and I had one of those cars where you mashed the button one time, and the window would go all the way down, and you didn't have to hold it, you know, and so I tore that thing off and mashed the button like that, and I just thumped it right out the window like that. Now, I don't know who said it first, the Holy Spirit of Wanda, but she said out loud, what did you just do? And let me tell you tonight, if you can stand do anything you want to, and the Holy Spirit of God doesn't bother you, you have every reason tonight to wonder whether or not you've ever been saved. 
You harbor a grudge in your heart week after week and month after month and year after year. You hold an old sour spirit about something and it doesn't bother you and you don't want to go to the altar and you don't want to pray and you don't want to get it right with God. You have every reason and right tonight to wonder whether or not you've ever been saved or not because I'm telling you, every true believer has the Holy Spirit of God within them and the role of the Holy Spirit of God is to bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. You can't just do anything you want to and the Holy Spirit of God is going to leave you alone. If you're saved, He's just going to wear you out. Even if all you're doing is just thumping a little piece of paper out of the window. And uh, so you might want to consider that tonight. If you've made up your mind, I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. And uh, He said, if from thence, if from that kind of attitude, if from that kind of disposition, He said, if from that disposition, once you have strayed from me, if you will come back to me, if you will seek me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your soul, he said, I will let you find me. Folks, I'm not Pentecost, but I'm, I'm just that close to standing on one foot and shouting. How many times have you disobeyed the Lord? How many times has God opened his arms wide open back to you and said, listen, Royce, you really did mess up this time. But I'm telling you, if you will confess it, and if you will repent of it, and if you will forsake that sin, if you'll ask for forgiveness, he said, I'll let you find me. I'm telling you, that's a wonderful God, isn't it? We serve a great and a mighty and a serving, uh, a God that's worthy to be served because he's a forgiving God. Uh, if you if you depart from me, if you are estranged from me, if from that position you will seek me, with your whole heart, seek my face. He said, I'll let you find me. If I don't miss my guest tonight, there are people in this congregation who need to seek the Lord. Yeah, I know you're saved. You know that you're saved. But you know that you're not walking in sweet fellowship with the Lord. In a congregation this size, I promise you there are people that are here tonight that are saved, but they're not in sweet fellowship with the Lord. And they need to make things right with God. And they need to make things right with their brother and with their sister. And let's get on with it. A departure from, an estrangement from me. He said, you just come back to me. These characteristics of backsliding, they are progressive in nature, ladies and gentlemen. Number, number one, there's a, there's a careless life of impurity. Now, we see examples of that throughout all the Word of God. He said, uh, when you shall remain long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves. He didn't say if. He said when. When you've been in the land a long time and now you begin to corrupt yourselves. When you slumber in the land. When you corrupt yourselves. You know what he's talking about. Like Samson, who became very, very careless in the way that he was living for the Lord who fell for the Philistine women and then had a whole lot more than one. And then he decided that he liked Delilah more than any of the rest of them. And God's fighting, his army is fighting with the Philistines. And there's Samson, you know, and he's got Delilah laying there in his lap. And, and, and you know, and, and uh, actually it's the other way around it. And his head laying in her lap and, and having a relationship there that he's not supposed to have. And, and uh, of course, you know, whenever you cross that line, you're already in trouble. Amen. You you do something God says not to do. And he's not supposed to have any foreign women. But Samson became very, very careless. He wanted what he wanted. And he was seduced by Delilah. She said, oh, Samson. Samson, if you really you really love me, you'll tell me where your strength comes from. Uh, first of all, he wouldn't do it, you know. But uh, sooner or later, she wore him down. And 
And uh, there he was, you know, inebriated. And, and uh, she said, oh, Samson, if you really, really, really love me, you would tell me where your strength comes from. And, of course, then he reveals that the strength is what came uh, from the flowing hair that came from his head. And that sounds like the strength is in his hair. Actually, it was not in his hair. It was in the commitment that he had made to the Lord. And whenever he told her about that hair, that if anybody was to shave my head, I'd lose this power because I had broken my commitment to the Lord. But that's all she needed to know, you know. And she clipped the hair off of his head and she hollered out, Samson, the Philistines are among us. The Philistines are among us. And the Bible says that he arose up from that place and he said, I'll arise as I have always done. And I'll be victorious in the name of the Lord. The Bible said that he did not even know that the presence of the Lord had departed from him. I don't care how good you've been for the Lord in days gone by. If you don't have the Lord with you tonight, if he's not empowering you tonight, if he's not using your gifts tonight, it makes no difference what you did 50 years ago. The Lord wants to know how you're serving him tonight. Are you being faithful? Are you being obedient to him tonight? But the seduction of a woman by the name of Delilah caused this man by Samson to turn the whole army of Israel over to the Philistines, God's enemy. Like David, who in a in a, a, a moment of stupidity, really, because he was in a place that he was not supposed to be. The Bible says that it was the season of the year when kings were off of their armies at war, but not David. He had remained behind in the ease of the palace, and he was at ease in Zion. Literally, he was, and had all those servants and all of his family around him. And his army was out on the battlefield where they were supposed to be, and there was David in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not submit to you tonight, you can get in a lot of trouble in the wrong place at the wrong time. He looked across the way and he caught a glimpse of Bathsheba bathing herself. And what he glimpsed at, he began to gaze at. And what he gazed at, he lusted after. And what he lusted after, he sent for. And what he sent for, he took another man's wife by the name of Bathsheba. Boy, what a tangled mess that became. I mean, he paid fourfold for his sin. I'm just telling you, we don't have the luxury, ladies and gentlemen, of becoming so careless in our Christian life. Because every sin weighs a ton. And every sin has consequences. Every sin has ramifications which will naturally run their course. And it will will hurt you, and it will hurt your spouse, and your family, and, and your church, and it will hurt the community. And sometimes it will even hurt Christendom on the other side of the world. Samson got very, very careless and he paid the price. And David got very, very careless and he paid the price. And remember Simon Peter who was careless and he looked away from Jesus and he began to sink. All he had to do was keep his eyes on Jesus, you know. As long as he was focusing on Jesus, he was walking on top of the water. But some of us here tonight have also taken our eyes off of Jesus. Have taken our heart away from the precepts of his word. And say, I think I'll just live the way I want to live. I think on Sundays I'll go where I want to go. I think I'll have the friends that I want to have. I'll live the lifestyle that I want to live. Like Simon Peter who got very careless and took his eyes off of Jesus. Many a Christian does the same thing. And you remember that the Bible says about Jesus that he was grieved in his heart and he just locked eyes with Simon Peter. And when uh, Simon Peter saw the eyes of Jesus, then it, it broke Simon Peter's heart at the same time. Uh, a careless life of impurity. 
I'm telling you tonight, we have seen this in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, just in this one past year of men of God who have fallen that I would have never thought in my life that they would have fallen to some impure thing like some of them have. And I'm talking about a half a dozen or more high up in Southern Baptist life. You think that you've been a Christian so long that you're above sin? Do you think that you've been a Christian so long, you've been a deacon so long, you've been preaching the Word of God, or you've been singing the gospel? You think you are so close to the Lord that you can't fall? Are you telling me tonight you think you're a better Christian than David was? David in the wrong place at the wrong time, with the wrong circumstances? I mean, failed miserably and sinned against the Lord in such a horrendous kind of way. And five minutes of carelessness. Uh, one cross word said to a brother or sister. An attitude that uh, is being held within our heart that's impure and not righteous before God. I'm telling you, five minutes of carelessness can erode the effectiveness of a life lived for Christ and will result in this hindrance, this reality of backsliding that I'm talking about tonight. It don't, have, it don't even take five minutes, just a minute, just a moment. When we say sometimes what's really on our mind and what's on our heart and it doesn't pass through any filter like the Holy Spirit of God. We just blurt out something that uh, we really should not have said. And then it hurts someone's feelings and assassinates someone's character. I'm just telling you, God knows it all and he hears it all. These characteristics of backsliding begin with a careless life of impurity. And then it, uh, it uh, degrades into a carnal life of idolatry. Ye shall make a graven image, he said to them in verse number 25. What a warning. They had just come out of Egypt. Now they're going to go into the promised land. He said, and when you get there, you are going to fail. You are going to fall. You are going to backslide. You're even going to go as far as to start making graven images like they had in Egypt and start falling down before them and worshiping them. Ye shall make a graven image, even while you've come into the promised land. Folks, I'll tell you, if we operate according to uh, tradition rather than the Word of God, we've done the very same thing. I know that church tradition is a strong thing. We've always done it this way. Uh, it always has to be done that way because it's always been done this way. Uh, how, how, how do we know it's always been done this way? Why do we know it was done that way anyway? When church tradition overrules what the Word of God says, the Word of God is the final authority on every issue in the Baptist church. Amen? In the Baptist church, I mean the Word of God is the final authority, not the way we've always done it, whatever, what everybody else thinks and what Grandma said and what Grandpa did. Sometimes we do things, we don't even know why we do those things. We just do them because we've always done them. It was like uh, Thanksgiving whenever uh, they were going to cook the pork roast and the daughter's in the kitchen with the mother. And the mother uh, takes uh, the saw and she begins to saw off the end of that uh, uh, roast. And, and then she puts it down in the pan like that. And the daughter said, uh, Mama, why do you always cut off the, the end of the roast like that and then put it down in the pan? It, said, it looked like it was going to fit all right. She said, that's the way my mama did it. He said, well, why did, why did Grandmama do it that way? She said, well, you ought to ask her. I mean, she's still living, so ask her. So she went to Grandmama, and she said, Grandma, when you make your roast on Thanksgiving, you always cut off the end of the roast like that before you put it down in the pan like that, you know? And, uh, and, and why do you do that? I mean, you always do that. Mama always does that. And she said, well, I'll tell you, my mama always did that. 
And her great-grandmama was living. She said, why don't you go ask great-grandmama why? So she went to great-grandmama and she said, great-grandmama, I want to know why when you make the roast on Thanksgiving, when you get ready to put it in the pan, you always saw off the end and put it down in that pan before you put it in the oven. She said, you know what I always did mean to buy a bigger pan? That's about what like some of our church tradition is like. We've been doing it so long, we don't know why we did it. We just did it because everybody else did it that way. But I'm telling you, church tradition should never trump what the Word of God says. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to church doctrine, when it comes to church discipline, when it comes to anything that affects the body of believers, the Word of God trumps everything else. If you have anyone or anything you place before God, you're involved in idolatry. If you've set up your own standards, if you, you have, or you're involved in idolatry, if you say, this is where we have to come up to. No, what we have to come up to is where the Word of God says we have to come up to. That's the standard. So you write your own Bible if you want to, to your own destruction. You, you embrace, uh, Situational ethics and, and, you know, and justify what you've done and rationalize and reason away your actions. But the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible is the final authority on every single given subject. A careless life of idolatry will lead to a callous life then of iniquity. A callous life of iniquity where nothing really affects you at all. He said in verse number 25, you'll, you'll make graven image. And ye shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. You'll come to that degree. Not us, Brother Royce. I mean, we're a Southern Baptist church. And we have preaching every Sunday. And we have Sunday school. And we have something for the children and for the youth. And we have this mission organization and that mission organization, you don't think we're ever going to backslide on the Lord, do you? No, I don't think you're going to. I think we already have. You noticed I put myself right in the middle of it. I think that we already have, unless you're as close to Jesus right now as you ever have been, unless you're being as faithful and serving Him and loving Him in your devotional life, if, unless you're as close to Him right now as you have ever been, then you have backslidden some condition. And if perchance there, is, there are one or two people in the congregation tonight, and you're as close to Jesus right now as you've ever been, don't tell me there's never been a time when you won't backslidden on the Lord. Jeremiah said not only were they backslidden on the Lord, but they were perpetually backslidden on the Lord. Jeremiah chapter number 8, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. The only thing being worse, that, the only thing worse than being backslidden on the Lord is being backslidden on the Lord and don't care anything about it. Just go on that way. Just stay in those broken relationships. Don't try to make things right. Just go ahead and do what you want to do in a broken relationship. Perpetually backslidden on the Lord. And you know, that was the case, uh, at the church at Corinth, you remember. Not only were they sinning grievously in the sight of God, but, uh, Paul indicates that they were even boastful in that they were such a broad-minded church that a man could live with his father's wife and still be accepted in the congregation. They were such a broad-minded, you know, and just accept everybody and believe everybody's okay. I'm okay, you're okay. The only problem with that statement is it's not okay, is it? It's not okay at all. 
They were proud of their broad-mindedness, proud of their backsliding. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6, and verse number 15, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Let me tell you, that's what we've come to in America today, isn't it? I mean, we've come to the place in America today that, you know, well, Vance Havner said it this way one time. He said people in America used to blush when they were ashamed, and now we're ashamed when we blush. Nothing can make a person blush in America today. Even people who are in the church can listen to anything, watch anything. Doesn't seem to bother them at all. Some Christians just like that today. But you show me a Christian whose life is characterized by sin and lying and gossiping and stealing and cheating and filled with malice and pride and self-centeredness. I'll show you a Christian who's backslidden on God, perpetually backslidden on God. Callous to the extent that sin doesn't bother them anymore. They they become to the church a hindrance. The hindrance of backsliding. The reality of backsliding. The characteristics of backsliding. A careless life of, of impurity and a carnal life of idolatry. And a careless life of iniquity. And now let's look at the consequences of backsliding. The Bible says there's always a payday for sin. There's, first of all, the loss of fullness of blessing. It says in verse number 26 and 27, You will utterly perish from off the land. You will utterly perish from off the land. There's a day of judgment that is coming. Ladies and gentlemen, God has aspirations for all of us. He wants us to be happy and healthy in the land. The Canaan land is all about having the best life that we can have for the Lord and to hear. And now the Lord wants that for you and me. It symbolizes the fullness of blessing for those of us who are saved. But you see, whenever you're living in a backslidden state, you cannot experience what God wants you to have by the way of fullness of blessing. There's not only the loss of a fullness of blessing, but there's the loss of the fellowship blessing. He said, the Lord will scatter you among the nations. Have you ever noticed how God has done that to judge his people all throughout the Bible? He scatters them all throughout the Bible. You remember when they built the Tower of Babel and they said, God's never going to destroy us again by flooding. the. He can flood the earth if he wants to, but he's not going to destroy us again. And so they said, let us build us a tower which reaches unto the heavens. And, and they did that and God scattered them. You remember that? I mean, he tore the old tower down and he scattered them and they, the languages were confused. And, and that's one of the ways that God judges his people. It's also one of the ways that he gets his work done. You remember that when the uh, the judgment took place in the early church, whenever Stephen had been stoned, and and then the disciples there spread abroad. None stayed in Jerusalem except the apostles. Everyone else went all over the then known world. They were afraid they were going to be next, just like Stephen had been stoned and put to death because of his faith. I mean, all he did was preach the truth, and they stoned him to death. And everybody said, "Well, if that's going to happen, I'm going." To... And the Bible says that they went and scattered all around, and that's the way God got his work done. You remember that Philip went to Samaria and because he was in Samaria, they had a great revival and God took him out of that great revival in Samaria and put him down on the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And the Ethiopian man was saved. They took the gospel back to the northeastern part of Africa. I'm telling you, God does his work by making us go out there and leave uh, the little huddle that we have. You know, everybody wants to stay in the huddle. And I, there was a song one time, um, 
that talked about going out. Everyone wants to stay around the table, but no one wants to work in the field. My house is full, but my field is empty. Won't you go and work for me today? And the Bible says, and that song says that everybody wants to stay around the table, stay, stay around the church, you know, and be fed and have the fellowship and enjoy one another, but no one wants to work in the field. He's called us to be scattered into the field. Uh, but you have this loss of fellowship of blessing. They, they would perish uh, through hunger and thirst and suffering, uh, not just at the hands of the Assyrians, but then secondly, at the hands of the Babylonians and the Babylonian captivity and, uh, and every dispensation they would face in the future under the Greeks, under the Persians, under the Romans. They would face that scattering every single time. And of course, then they've come back into the land, which gives us every indication that we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord of Jesus for his church uh, in the rapture of his church because they've been uh, uh, a nation now again for quite a good little while since the uh, late 40s. They destroy the fellowship with God as well. In Isaiah 59 and verse number 2, he said, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sin has hid his face from you that he will not hear. And so there are the characteristics of backsliding and there are the consequences of backsliding. Whenever you and I sin, when we have angry words one with another, when we have broken relationships, we have that loss of fellowship with one another. And let me tell you, when things are not right this way with one another, then things can't be right between us and God as well. With broken relationships within the body of Christ, it breaks down our relationship with our Lord as well. Oh yeah, you're still saved. But if you could tell me you're happy in the Lord and you're glad about it, then I believe that you would lie to me about other things as well. I wouldn't believe it for nothing in the world. But thank God there is correction for backsliding. The correction of backsliding is given right here in the Word of God. He said, if you will return to me, there's a return to God. He said, if you will return to me with your whole heart, if you will return to me, yes, intellectually, if you will return to me, yes, volitionally, with your will, if you will return to me spiritually, living according to the word of God, if you will return to me emotionally, then he said, I will hear you. I'll let you find me. If you'll turn to me with all of your heart, if you'll turn back to me with all of your soul, there is this return to God that is absolutely necessary. And uh, you're not going to be right. Uh, in your own heart, and you're not going to be right with others unless you're willing to return to God and seek God and say, God, is it my fault? Is it my problem? You know, there are some people like that are pretty sour, you know. They can't get along with their husband. They can't get along with their wife. They can't get along with the Sunday school teacher. They can't get along with the pastor. They can't get along with the deacons. They can't get along with people at work. And folks, if you can't get along with anybody, guess whose problem it is? Most likely it's yours. Return to God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And there's a reconciliation with man. Uh, uh, there's an Indian tribe called the PD Indians in Town Creek. In Town Creek at the Town Creek in, uh, Indian Memorial. They come together every year. They have this ritual that I've never read about or heard about. Right here in the state of North Carolina. Once a year, all those who are PD Indians will come back to that memorial and they have this ceremony where they take brooms and they just sweep the ground. They just sweep the ground, uh, and sweep the ground till it's all 
clean. And then after they do that, then they come on that swept ground and then they repair the relationships between them that are broken. Anything that's wrong, anything that's been said wrong, anything that was fought or anything that was accused someone of something, every year they would come and sweep the ground of a picture of, you know, of sweeping away of sin and come inside that circle and then they would embrace one another and forgive one another and uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not a PD Indian. I'm about 25% Cherokee, but I'm telling you, I like that idea of people coming together, forgiving one another, being restored to one another in fellowship. It is a reconciliation that is to be made with man. Do you remember when Zacchaeus was saved? The Bible says that when Zacchaeus was saved in Luke chapter number 19, when Jesus was there in the house with him, he said, Half of my worldly goods I give to the poor. And if I had taken anything from anyone wrongfully, I restored unto him fourfold. You know what Jesus said in, in response to that? Jesus said, This day is salvation. Come to this house. Whenever you want to start making things right with your brother and sister, you want to prove that you're saved, you want to prove that you have been forgiven, then you extend forgiveness toward others in the same way that you have been forgiven. How much have you and I been forgiven? (laughs) I don't even want to think about it tonight, do you? I mean, I've been forgiven so much stuff. Thank God he's let me forget most of it. You know, praise the Lord for that. And to think that we could ever hold anything in our heart against somebody else when we have been forgiven so much. A return to God and a reconciliation with man. And then there's a rejoicing in God. John Piper, or Dr. John Piper said it this way. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You'll never be satisfied in God until you've made peace uh, with God and peace with your brothers and with your sisters. Verse 30 and 31 says that He is merciful. Now, that ought to make a Baptist amen right there. He is merciful. In verse 30 and 31, he says, He is merciful. In verse 31, He will not forsake you. He will not destroy you. And He will not forget the covenant that He made with your forefathers. That's enough to make the Pentecostal say, Amen tonight. Amen. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to destroy us. He's not going to forget the covenant that He has made with us. You know, the covenant that's been made with you and me has been ratified in the blood of His Son. Jesus Christ is the one who bought that covenant for you and for me. That's the reason when we raise the cup in the Lord's Supper, that it represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, because He died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. This new covenant that we have with God the Father is through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of all Sin. Well, I'm telling you tonight, if we're here and we're backslidden on the Lord, if we're in proper, improper relationship with one another, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. We certainly don't have to leave that way because there is a correction for backsliding. Return to God. Be reconciled with your brother and sister. And that will bring a rejoicing in God. Uh, you can go out to church tonight, house tonight, you know, saying hallelujah and praise the Lord. Whether you normally say that or not, you can leave tonight saying that, thinking that, feeling that, experiencing that tonight. Saying God is not going to forsake me. He will not destroy me. And he's not going to forget the covenant that he has made with me through his son's blood. 
I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet. Now, in the attitude of prayer, if you would just stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. We ask our musicians, if they would, to come and take their place. In a few moments, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. Some of you probably need to start coming even before the music begins. If God is speaking to you uh, and you need to come, then come. There's a lot of stuff up here, a lot of microphones. If you'll be careful, you can find yourself a place up here to kneel and to pray. If you can't kneel and a lot of us are getting that condition, why don't you come to one of these front pews and just sit down on one of these front pews and, and talk to the Lord. And then if you need to go talk to somebody else, go talk to somebody else. But talk to the Lord first and get it, get that thing right. And then tonight, if there's someone in this place who never has been saved, that same ratification of the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins available to you tonight. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. You come tonight and take Pastor Bobby by the hand and say, I want to give my heart and life to Jesus tonight. I want to be saved tonight. You can leave a saved man, a saved woman, a saved boy, a saved girl. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we pray that in these moments that you would do your work in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. I pray that the, the wall of resistance would come down. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would bring so deep a conviction that we would just feel like we have got to confess it. And we must repent of it. And we must forsake that sin. And we must make it right with our brothers and our sisters. So God, I pray that you would help us tonight to respond to the preached word of God in a way that's pleasing in your sight and all that you do for us. We'll praise you for it and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonathan, what shall we sing? 366. Hymn number 366. Your pastor's here to receive you and pray with you. And they're even moving some stuff out of the way so you'll have a little more room. Now let's sing together. 366. You're invited to come. Why do you wait, dear brother? Why do you tarry so long? Come right on. The altar is open. Well, it's good to see everybody again tonight uh, for this Tuesday night revival. Just remember, as children of God, the door is always open to uh, turn to Him and to reconcile things with each other. And uh, those two are are vastly important uh, for our spiritual growth. And so, Brother Royce, we thank you again for everything you shared with us, for opening God's Word and preaching it faithfully. And uh, I'd like to uh, ask Dr. Tarkington if you would close us out with a word of prayer.